Good morning, family. It is so good to be together as church family, and it is an honor for me to be up here in the midst of such a sacred moment. It's family time, and it's a gift for me to be able to share from my heart and from the scriptures with you. And it would be a gift to do this on any day, but it's especially precious to me in this tender moment of transition in the life of our church and also in the life of our nation. So thanks for having me. So this week, there was a retreat for all of us staff members who work with kids and teens. And at the start of the retreat, Ruthie, the pastor for Next Generations, listed out for our team all the transition that we've experienced in the past two years. Let me tell you, there were many. And in the midst, and in the midst of that exercise on that retreat, I thought of you, I thought of our Watertown campus, because we also have seen much transition these past few months. This fall, our church has been in a series called Thrive. We've been journeying through the book of Colossians and we've been asking what it looks like to live a thriving life in the midst of all the things we just saw narrated through that video. But the question that I have as I consider our congregation here in Watertown and as I look to the headlines is this, how is it possible to thrive when things are in transition? How is it possible to thrive when things are unsettled through transition? Today, we're gonna to spend time looking at Colossians 3, 12 through 17. And as we unpack the context and the text of this passage, I think that we're gonna find that it paints a picture for us of what it looks like to thrive in the midst of transition. So in the spirit of unpacking this passage together, I've invited Ross, my buddy, fellow co-leader, um, and soldier in Watson to come read, for, um, come, to come read uh, from Colossians 3, 12 through 17 for us. And this is much like it would have been done um, and read aloud to the initial recipients, the church in Colossae. I think it's actually because I was a little late and sat in the back. You get called out and brought up to the front. Yeah, that's, that. that's, that is what happens. Tight right. ship. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> All right, so let's, let's read this together. So Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Thank you, Ross. Amen. So how does that text, how does it help us in the midst of transition? It's one of my favorite passages of scripture. I think it's beautiful. I remember spending time in high school on a mission trip memorizing it. But I do wonder, how does it help us in the midst of transition? I think the first thing to note is that the Colossian church was very similar to us, Grace Chapel Watertown, in four significant ways. So first, they were similar to us in that they were faithful in the midst of a leadership transition. 
What happened at the time of this letter was that their founding leader, this guy named Epaphras, was at the time that the letter arrived to the Colossians visiting Paul. And Paul was in, in jail and Epaphras was gone for an indefinite amount of time. And so the leadership for the congregation was transferred and transitioned into the hands of a man named Archippus. But in the midst of all this leadership change and transition, Paul is praising the Colossians for their faithfulness to the work of building the kingdom, even through change. And I really believe that Paul would have the same commendation for us here. And here's why. And to, to explain why, I kind of want to paint this picture. So I was in the midst of the final preparations for our wedding, and, not, um, and I think I have a picture of the wedding because I couldn't help myself. Um, but we were in the midst, so before it was all beautiful and we look in love, there was the chaos, okay? There was the chaos and the I can't do this and oh, the meltdowns and too many things, final things to put together. And then I was in the midst of all of that when I heard that Daryl would not be coming to be our campus pastor. And as I heard this, I remember my heart falling to my stomach. How disappointing. We'd graciously received the news of Robert and Malia's departure. We'd sent them off well. We embraced a new leader, our, our church's first African-American campus pastor, even in the midst of a racially divisive time. Some of us even friended him on Facebook and in hopes of the new friendship and partnership we would have with him. And then all that was taken from us right as he was supposed to start. So there in Savannah, as I was prepping for my wedding, there was a pit in my stomach as I wondered, what would church be like in the weeks that followed? But as I returned from my honeymoon a few weekends later, I was cheered and I was humbled to hear that in spite of that setback, our congregation had found new energy, new passion and vitality in welcoming one another and inviting new people into our midst. So I really do believe that like he does for the Colossians, Paul would commend us for being faithful in transition. Secondly, similarly to us, the Colossians were a diverse group of people. The church in Colossae was made up mostly of Gentile converts. That meant like unlike a congregation in other places that was made up of mostly Jewish people that all shared a common history and culture, this congregation was made up of people from all different religious and cultural backgrounds. And just to tease that out a little bit, there were the indigenous Phrygian people who had been there for the longest. They were native to the land in Colossae. And then there were the Greek settlers who arrived, and they came to take advantage of the industry and the river and the mercantile importance of the city. And then many of these Greek settlers actually had taken the indigenous Phrygian people as indentured servants when they settled. And so the congregation that Paul was writing to was filled with all these layers. And so the congregation wasn't this neat and tidy unification of people from different socioeconomic backgrounds and ethnicities just sitting there singing kumbaya. No, there was drama in the Church of Colossae. There were real things happening. And actually, one of these pieces of drama is alluded to in another book of the Bible called Philemon. In that book, Paul is actually trying to mediate peace between Onesimus, who's a runaway slave, and Philemon, who's his master. 
So talk about messy. It was not an ideal congregation. It was a real one with lots of diversity. And one of the most stated and celebrated facts about you, about us here in Watertown, is that we too are a diverse congregation. We have different ages and ethnicities represented. So many different backgrounds. So let's be real. We can relate to some of the tension that the Church of Colossae would have experienced. It's the same tension that maybe you have felt as, as you've engaged people from different backgrounds and cultures coming together here at church. The people at Colossae didn't all agree about how church should run. Likely, there was one culture that was dominant, even as many cultures and backgrounds were present. We know that the people in Colossae definitely slighted one another, intentionally and unintentionally. And likely, the Colossian congregation, people in that congregation, hung out primarily with those with whom they felt most comfortable. So when I consider our congregation and each of you, the reality is that by God's grace, we are a diverse congregation. And that's a gift, but let's be real, that's also a challenge. But here's what I found remarkable. Our diversity, being rich, poor, black, white, Asian, mixed, older, younger, long-time grace people, and new to grace people, all that diversity is not an accident. It's part of God's plan for what God is up to in our midst, and that is so exciting to me. A third similarity between us and the Colossian church is that they lived in a complicated social moment. Colossae, which is a city um, in which these believers met, had once been a city with great commercial and social importance. But because of an earthquake, the infrastructure of the city was damaged, and it was never completely rebuilt. Instead, the neighboring town got the bulk of the resources for rebuilding, and it became the new social center for the region. And so in Colossae, there was this real sense that the social and commercial importance that they once enjoyed was gone. It was on the wane. And undoubtedly, that was unsettling, and that was in the air. So it doesn't feel like a stretch for me to imagine that in Colossae, there could have been signs that read, make Colossae great again, that were hung over heaps of uncollected rubble. We can certainly relate to, this, to their complicated social moment. So the congregation like, in Colossae, like us, they were faithful in the midst of leadership transition, they were a diverse group, they were in a complicated social moment, and finally, like us, they felt the pressure to conform to the philosophies and the practices of their day. That's why Paul is writing this letter to them in the first place. And we can imagine how in a city with such history and diversity, Christians who were part of this brand new faith struggled to figure out what Christian life should look like in the midst of so many different ways of thinking and living. Similarly, we wrestle to live a gospel witness in the midst of our culture. We wrestle with how the demands of sports and commitments to extracurriculars and our witnesses through these things balance with Sunday morning worship and family time. We wrestle to keep from falling prey to the apathy of our culture toward hurt and pain of those around the world, especially on a week like this one with storms, wreckage, destruction, ravaging more places than we're able to keep up with. 
We feel the temptation to succumb to the divisive language and vitriol towards the other that's so present in our political sphere. And we fall into disillusionment as we look towards earthly authorities for hope and stability. We wrestle to see the point of religious life when there are so many things that seem to offer us comfort and an outlet and more tangible solutions. So I take the time to say all of that about our similarities with the Colossians before we dig into the text. And I, I take the time to do that because I wanna acknowledge where we are as a people, as a congregation. I wanna take the time to name that we're trying to be faithful, that we are diverse, that we live in a complicated time and we feel many pressures. And I wanna say it out loud because we're all thinking it, but I wanna say it out loud so we can all hear it together. And I wanna say it out loud so God can hear it. And God can help us make sense of the things that are rightly swirling around in our hearts and minds because of the moment that we're in. And the truth is that naming where we are also seems to provide space for God to take us to somewhere new. So let's examine what God would say through Paul to a group of people very much like us. So if I were to give you the New Jolinda translation of Paul, and I would su and summarize Colossians 3.12 that Ross read, 12 through 17, I'd say it this way. We thrive in times of transition by taking ownership for our collective life of faith. We thrive in times of transition by taking ownership for our collective life of faith. So what do I mean by this? Well, let's first talk about what I mean by ownership. Verse, uh, verse 16 says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. It might feel easy in that verse to get lost in all the psalms and the hymns and the songs. It's like major alliteration. But the operative phrase to zero in on is one another. This image that Paul gives is valuable because it teaches us that we cannot thrive as a congregation if we rely only on one individual in order to be a community of faith. We'll thrive as a congregation only as we take ownership to remind one another of the gospel. Let me put it another way. We'll only be a thriving congregation as we continue to be people ready and willing to roll up our sleeves and teach sing, recite in whatever creative way we need to the story of the gospel to one another. The onus is on us. And I learned this in a special way at Urbana. So this winter, Pastor Jeanette, pastor of the world, commissioned a group of us to go to Urbana. And for those unfamiliar, Urbana is a missions conference of 16,000 mostly young people. And it was the first night of the conference, and I really did have one of these like Colossians 3.16 moments. Um, it was the first night, I was so excited to jump into worship, and about the second song in, the band was leading a song that I didn't know. What happens in church when you come to church ready to get your Jesus on, and a song comes on that you don't know? If you're me, and if you're many of you, you probably get frustrated. So the words were on the screen, but I, like, and I could see the words, but I couldn't make out the melody. I couldn't follow it. And as I stood there trying to keep 
from anger that they would play, play a song that I didn't know, because come on, like I know many, many worship songs. I heard someone behind me and she clearly knew the song and she clearly loved the song and she was singing loudly with gusto. And as I heard her, slowly my frustration melted. It melted as I listened to her because as I listened, I was able to learn the melody from her and I was eventually able to join in. And to me, that's a very personal picture of ownership. We can't fully experience the gospel without one another. We need people to sing loudly when we don't know the words. And we need to be learners when we aren't sure how to move forward. We need to be willing to learn from one another. The reality is this, believing in Jesus is not just our personal way to go to heaven. Believing in Jesus means we need to do our part to contribute to a way of being in the world that's different than what's mainstream. Ownership. This is how we thrive when things are in transition. And I've been so encouraged as I've seen the ways that you all have taken on the mantle of maintaining the life of this community of faith in the midst of change. But I would challenge you, it's Connect Sunday. If you aren't involved or feel like maybe this is a place you check into once in a while, we invite you to join in the singing and the reciting of the gospel. And I don't just mean here on Sunday mornings, literally. I mean, take up responsibility for making spaces where we can learn, where we can grow, where we can remind one another of what Jesus has done and what it means for our lives. If you're interested in this, today's a great Sunday to talk to some life community leaders, talk to Richard, talk to Kathy or Jenny or I, Mike. There's so many ways to join service. You can do it through coffee and snacks that allows people to be comfortable as they come to worship. Kids Town, if you go downstairs right now, they literally do verse 16, okay? If you ever want your Sunday morning brightened, sneak down there when Cynthia and Linda and the team are doing a drama and they're leading singing with motions that help the kids catch the gospel message. You can serve hanging out with us, teenagers, playing games, and living life with middle and high school kids. You can do it by being part of hosting a life community group or joining a life community group in order to gather with adults to, talk, to keep talking and reciting the gospel throughout the week. Or maybe there's another way you wanna take ownership. Let's have a conversation about that. Richard, who is a gift to us in this season of transition, he's amazing at having these kinds of conversations about things you wanna jump into. So jump in, take ownership, serve, because that is the first step towards a thriving life of faith. So a thriving life in times of transition is marked by ownership, but it's also marked by a sense of the collective. What do I mean by this? To explain, let's look at the first half of verse 12. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. And we'll just stop there. I think it's telling that before Paul even, ju even jumps into all these attributes that he says we need to put on, Paul talks about our identity. At the baseline, at the start of, our thi of all things, of anything we do, our identity is as people who God has called holy, even though we weren't. And because of Jesus, instead of being wretched or called messed up, we're called beloved. And we are invited into God's family. 
This identity is given to us by Jesus, and it's the baseline for the reason why any of us can be sitting here in church talking about relationship with God and with one another. But here's the kicker. Throughout the story of God, as it's told in the scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, God has continually made it clear that the gospel identity of being holy, of being dearly loved, is not just for people who all look the same and share the same background. It's for the nations. It's for all people. Paul is telling the Colossians, and he's telling you and I, us as a congregation, we have people from many backgrounds, but all are chosen by God, and all are holy, and all are dearly loved. And in a world that's as polarized as ours, our invitation is to be a people who can live into a collective identity. But please hear me carefully. What Paul is not saying is that we check our diverse backgrounds at the door in order to be part of a uniform way of practicing and living out faith. Paul is not saying that. If that were the case, there'd be no tension. And Paul is not asking us to sweep problems under a rug in order to make superficial peace. That's not what Paul is asking. What Paul is getting at is that we are all part of God's daring, life-size picture of what's impossible in human strength. What's impossible in human strength is for those with varied backgrounds in the midst of a polarized nation to be brought together with eyes wide open for unity in the midst of diversity. And I know, like good church folk, when we all get here on Sunday morning, we look forward. But maybe we should get in the habit of looking around. Because as we look around the room, and sometimes I sit in the back, we can be in awe that God has brought together such a beautiful, diverse swatch of people. And God is doing this incredible work of bringing us together as a collective. So I come from the era of um, kids who thought that we could change the world. And it hasn't taken too far into my adult life for me to become quite skeptical of the reality of that. And things that do it to me are things like reading the headlines and realizing there are so many things that are out of my control. And I've been tempted to feel like it's impossible, why try? Just do the grind, get through it. But as I've been exploring this text, I've wondered, what if the way to change the world was not in a political system? What if the way to change the world was in the way we live together as a family of faith? That's something that we actually have ownership and ability to do. What if the way we changed the world was the example we were as a community that didn't just tolerate each other's diversity, but were actually changed by it, changed the way we thought and lived and looked at God? A thriving life in times of transition is marked by ownership. It's marked by a sense of the collective, as hard and as messy as that might be sometimes. And finally, it's also marked by faith. Verse 14 says, and over all these things put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Many of you guys know this about me, but in addition to my work here with the youth, I work with our community of young adults called FIRE. And a few weeks ago, I was on the fire fall retreat, and the speaker, whose name is Sharon Ketchum, she's a professor at Gordon College, she taught on the topic of going from a me orientation to a we orientation. Her teaching was a preview of sorts of her coming book that talks about our individualistic culture 
and our consumerist culture and how that is in tension with the collective pull of a kingdom life. Ketchum pointed out that the things that Paul talks about in these verses, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, love, we often think about them as individual things, but they're not. They're not things just to make us more moral. They're actually the qualities that are needed in order for us to have a collective life of faith. What makes the Christian faith and Christian community is not primarily a shared culture or a shared way of worshiping, but it's a communal life together that is facilitated by Christ's love. It's a communal life together that's facilitated by Christ's love. The faith that we profess is a faith faith based on the love that God initiated by giving all of what God was and all of God, what God had to make us holy and to call us beloved and to invite us into his family. A life of faith is a communal life that's also facilitated by God's peace. Peace, not only within ourselves, but in community. It's really hard to come by. The verse, in verse 15, the word rule could also be translated as arbitrate. It's the image of a referee in a game. The reality is you only need a referee when there's the possibility of conflict. So when the scriptures say, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, it's with the understanding that peace in Christian community is hard work. And there's going to be times, and there will be many, when our hearts need arbitration. We'll need arbitration against our egos that put us at the center of the universe. We need arbitration against the deep consumeristic tendencies that on, that where we only want to be part of things because of what they give to us or how they benefit us. We're going to need arbitration against our wandering spirits, especially in times of transitions. Our wandering spirits that fear to commit because we don't want to be hurt and we definitely don't want to be inconvenienced. We're going to need arbitration from the lies that we tell ourselves or the lies we believe about ourselves that prevent us from being in community. So in all of this, the hope is this, that this arbitration, this kind of refereeing through the Holy Spirit is what Christ offers to us through the Holy Spirit. We, as we live out compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and forgiveness together, we are transformed. And this life of faith that's marked by love and peace, it's distinctive in our present moment. It's hard to find. And pursuing it helps us move forward in the midst of unsteadying transition. So I'm going to conclude by saying these few things. A thriving life in times of transition is marked by ownership. It's marked by a sense of the collective. And it's marked by faith. Grace Chapel, Watertown. We can only thrive through the season of transition that we're in, both in the life of our nation and in the life of this congregation, if we take ownership for our collective life of faith. Faith is something we participate in. It is not something, it's something that we live into. It is not something that is done to us by a leader. And this truth is so anchoring to me in the midst of all this unsettling transition. And I'm so excited to jump into the next phase of our life together as a congregation. As we sit in the reality that the only way for this congregation to thrive in the midst of transition is for us to jump in and to get involved. Having watched, I know you guys to be talented and passionate. And the leadership team, 
We're committed to continuing to find ways to speak into and call out your gifts. You are compassionate people, eager to learn and listen, and we're committed to finding ways to connect you to one another and to allow you to grow in depth of relationship. That's why we do things like Connect Sundays. We, as a leadership, we're so excited about diving into the hard work of building an authentically diverse Christian community with you all, one where you can listen to one another and learn from one another. And I'm, I'm excited to see you continue to learn to see one another, to look around, and to learn to be truly concerned with caring for one another in good times and in hard times. Even in the midst of this transition, I look forward to the season ahead because I know you to be people who are willing to dive in, get to know each other, and pursue faith alongside one another. And I know this willingness to take ownership for our collective life of faith with the work and the grace of God will make us a thriving congregation.